Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to episode number 182A of The Neutral Corner. I'm your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Now, I said this is episode 182A. That means there will be a 182B. So going forward, I'm going to try something a little different. I'm going to split the show. We're going to do uh, two shows a week. We're going to do the review show on Monday and then we're going to do the preview show on Thursday. I think this will work better, guys, because we could spend more time actually talking about the matchups, the fights, reviewing what we just saw, previewing what's coming up, hitting the latest news instead of being a week behind on the news. Because if I do a show on Monday and something drops Tuesday, I'm not going to be able to review it till next Monday. So I think splitting the show like this will be fun. There will be an A show, which is the review show, and a B show, which is the preview show. And that's how we're going to do it going forward, Monday and Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. All right? So this is 182A. We're going to review what took place last week. And this is, of course, for the week of August 10th. All right? And uh, before I get started, guys, real quick, just wanted to, don't want to get political here, I just want to express that, you know, my thoughts and all of our thoughts should be with the families and the communities in El Paso, Texas, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, really just horrible, horrible tragedies this weekend uh, that took place within really half a day of one another, right? And um, I ignored a lot of social media this weekend. You guys that have me on Twitter and Instagram and stuff, you probably didn't see me post a lot. I didn't tweet during the fights. I did watch the fights, but I didn't tweet. Social media after the tragedies that took place just turned into a sea of vile nastiness, politicization, racialization, all these different things. Everybody getting really nasty, posting memes and just kind of going real hard on one political side and the other political side. And I mean, I just didn't want to be a part of any of that shit. I just backed away from it for a couple of days, regardless of where you sit on any political issue or whatever, everybody's thoughts should be focused on the families and communities uh, for, you know, really the families of, of the victims of those two shootings. So I just want to put that out there. Okay. Uh, also guys, a reminder. Yes. Jab the like button. If you don't want to jab it, you want to give it a body shot, you want to give it an uppercut, I don't give a damn what combination you use. Just hit the damn like button, okay? We all need likes, all right? So get going with the likes. And then, of course, spread the word about the podcast and the channel, not just here on YouTube, but the podcast is out on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, everywhere else. Also, I want to thank you guys because last week, I asked your fee for last week was to help me get a few more followers on Twitter to get me over that 7,000 threshold. And guess what? You did just that. You guys uh, did your homework. You did your fee, however you want to word it. And I'm going to go ahead and look at my Twitter page right now to give you a count right now. We're at 7,017. So we got like 100 followers last week. So thank you very much, guys. Small thresholds, right? But we're over 8,000 subscribers on YouTube, over 7,000 followers on Twitter. We've got... Uh, thousands of, of followers collectively on iTunes and Spreaker and, and all SoundCloud, all those different platforms. So we're really growing the show and growing the brand. And I owe a lot of that to you guys. So I just wanted to give a, a wholehearted thank you to all of you guys who support the show and what we're trying to do here. And I'm really proud of our numbers because I know other channels, other platforms might dwarf our numbers, but they're getting propped up. They're getting money sometimes indirectly, sometimes directly from promoters, from 
certain promotional outfits and things like that. We ain't getting a dime from anybody but you guys. We're fully 100% uh, viewer and listener supported. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much, guys. Also want to give a quick shout out to Robin, Adam, and Levante at 4M Fitness in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I was up in Charlotte, North Carolina this last weekend uh, visiting my sister, her and my brother-in-law were moving into their new home and I was visiting those guys and I was hanging out at 4M Fitness that is a boxing slash MMA slash martial arts gym in Charlotte. And uh, Adam and Robin are always cool. Let me come in there and work out. And uh, I got to uh, work out a little bit with Levante Early, who is a fighter out of Charlotte, 9-0, 140 pounds, great looking prospect, tons of promise on his kid. And I got to spend some time in the ring with him, hit some mitts, good time. So I just want to give a shout out to those guys for always being super cool to me. Uh, my cousin came in there with me and worked out. Tiffany came in and worked out. You guys are always super cool when I'm up there visiting my sister and my family. So I just want to say thank you very, very much. Okay, guys, uh, let's see. Is that all the preliminaries there? I think so. I think we could get into news and notes. So we got a bunch to cover. Uh, make sure, again, you guys hit the like button and um, get going in the chat. Uh, hopefully, the audio and the video isn't too choppy. I was watching some YouTube videos early today and uh, just some of the shows and podcasts I was catching up on. And YouTube just seems to be a little choppy today. So hopefully the video ain't bad. But guys, remember, if the video sucks, the audio versions will be posted later tonight and they'll be great. All right. So uh, hopefully you could deal with a little bit of chops in the audio and we could still have fun. Let's get into this news and let's go ahead and start with, um, to me, just another really, really sad story. Sad story in boxing. And to me, this is every bit as sad as the recent deaths we've had in boxing with Dadashev, uh, with uh, Santa, Santian, and, and with uh, Whitaker, Sweet Pea. Carlos Baldemir, remember him? Former, he was the former welterweight champ, guys. Sentenced to 18 years in prison for repeated sexual abuse of his own daughter. So a little bit of background into this. Um, Apparently, he had three daughters. Baldemir has three daughters from a previous marriage. And he's married uh, again. And him and his current wife have a young son. So um, the media down there isn't being, you know, very explicit in all the details. But I do have some friends down there that I've talked with. And apparently, the the sexual abuse with him and his daughter, it's very legit. It's not some made-up thing. It was something that went on for years. And it ranged anywhere from just fondling and touching to full-on sexual intercourse. This guy was a fucking just disaster. And the reason why I think this is just as sad as the recent deaths we've had in boxing is because lives have been ruined. This this young girl, Carlos Baldemir's daughter, her life is ruined. She's never going to be the same after something like this. And it's the same thing for her, her sisters, for her stepbrother, for everybody involved. These lives are ruined. And, and this, this man, his legacy is completely ruined. And I mean, his rectum is probably unrecognizable <laughs> right now because as soon as he got to jail, boom, you know, he was getting pounded hard and that's all he's going to get for the next 18 years and deservingly so. But here is my question. And I'm genuinely curious about this. Was Carlos Baldemir always a sick bastard like that Jared Fogel guy? Remember the subway dude who it turns out was into kiddie porn and for years was abusing teenage girls and using his power as the subway guy, his political power in that company to to hide it? You know, Carlos Baldemir has a certain amount of 
of uh, celebrity down there in Argentina, right? And money, a lot of money for Argentina. Was he always a sick bastard? Were things like this going on forever? Or could this somehow be related to, uh, to CTE, to brain damage? And, and that is something I'm very curious about. And I, and I wonder, right now the families, they're not talking. Media is not talking a whole lot about this. But um, I would hope that in the future, some of that information c- could come out. Because I'm very curious, was this a guy who was seemingly normal? And perhaps this behavior started in recent years after all the damage. Remember the hellacious knockout loss he had to a young Canelo Alvarez who was way too big and strong for him. And that fight should have probably never happened. But he took a lot of punishment, man. Um, and I'm just curious. I'm not, not that it would at all excuse his behavior, don't get me wrong. But it might help explain it. And we've seen in some of these CTE cases... Uh, former athletes, not just fighters, not just boxers, but guys in the NFL and, and other athletes become aggressive, become abusive, and literally change personalities. You've heard Junior Seau was one, right? Junior Seau, the famous football player for uh, the San Diego, now Los Angeles Chargers in the NFL. I mean, played a couple other teams, but really he was a San Diego Chargers guy. He became abusive later on with his kids, distant. He had uh, troubles with relationships. He got divorced from his wife, and they had always had this close marriage. And all of his family members say he completely changed personalities. So whatever happens to Carlos Baldemir, and I believe, look, I think he's going to die in prison. I think he's going to be murdered eventually in prison. I really, really do. That's how he's going to die. When that happens, I hope that the authorities down there somehow, some way, can get a hold of his brain. Because I would be very curious to see if his brain was examined if he would show signs of CTE. Again, not that it justifies any of this, but it might help prevent future incidents of this. And it's something that folks in the sports medicine community could monitor. So that, that's something that you know I just wonder about. You guys know I'm passionate about drug testing in sports. I care a lot about fighters and CTE and, and that these head trauma issues. And I just wonder if that you know, relates to this case or if he was always just a sick bastard. You know what I mean? Okay, so enough of that. Enough of this sad freaking news, man. I'm, I'm over it. It's just depressing. Let's get to some fun news, <laughs> however you want to look at this. Uh, not that you know, I'm celebrating this, but Canelo Alvarez stripped of his IBF middleweight title. And this turned into a massive soap opera that is continuing to play out over social media, this is literally like, Canelo is like a child and Golden Boy Promotions, some of the folks there at IBF are like the divorced parents and they're fighting publicly. This sort of fight that would happen at home 20, 30 years ago, Azier says Canelo is a diva. Well, yeah, no shit. That's like saying I'm tall. <laughs> I'm 6'4", by the way. Uh, uh, But it's happening over social media now. We're all watching these people bicker and fight. So anyway, the the mandatory challenger was Sergei Derevyanchenko, who was originally the mandatory challenger for Gennady Golovkin. And through all the drama we saw last year with Clembuterol Gate and all this stuff, Golovkin gets stripped of the IBF. Then a rematch happens. Canelo has... or The rematch happens. Canelo wins. Then he fights Daniel Jacobs who ironically had the IBF belt. These are the same people that he told to go fuck themselves when he didn't want to rehydrate when he fought Golovkin. (laughs) As the world turns, this thing just goes around in circles. And now here it is. Derevyanchenko is Canelo's mandatory. They can't reach an agreement soon enough. 
per the IBF rules, and they strip Canelo. Now Golovkin's going to fight Derevyanchenko probably in October. I think October 5th is the working date. It might get pushed back a week at Madison Square Garden in New York. That's likely where it's going to happen. I think the fight makes sense there. Two Eastern European guys in New York makes plenty of sense. But I just find this whole thing ironic. If you go back and you look at the IBF middleweight title over the last three or so years and the round-robin story, it really is like a freaking soap opera for overgrown diva men. It really, really is. You know, uh, look... Guys make fun of women being dramatic and having these bitch fests and these soap operas and all this. But a lot of times I think boxers are the most dramatic, over-the-top, soap opera motherfuckers in all sports. And I mean, this whole thing with the IBF just kind of played out that way, right? You can't write this shit. If I go back three years after Daniel Jacobs refused to do the rehydration, the second day weigh-in for the IBF, said thanks but no thanks, would... Would you guys believe that two years later he'd have the IBF title? And after they stripped Gennady Golovkin because he wanted to rematch Canelo Alvarez, who he was contractually obligated to rematch anyway, instead of fighting Derevyanchenko, who would give him maybe one-tenth of the payday that, uh, that uh, Canelo would, they strip him. Would you have imagined that a year later he'd have that title? Because he's going to beat Derevyanchenko. I don't know if he'll knock him out. It's possible. Golovkin could store, score a late stoppage, but I definitely favor him to win a decision and a pretty entertaining bout just style-wise and uh, the way these guys, their bodies match up. and their st- It's not always styles make fights, but sometimes <laughs> fighters' body styles make tight, uh, fights. And I think the way these guys match up physically, the tail of the tape, and where they're at in their careers – their, their amateur pedigrees, all of that, combined with their fighting styles, I think it'll be a pretty entertaining, good fight. It'll do well in New York, which is where it belongs. But I think Lovkin's going to win that IBF title. It's just crazy to me. And it sets up the fight that Canelo doesn't want, which is the rubber match between him and Golovkin next May, which DAZN will eventually force. Canelo, if he wants to make that kind of money, that big kind of money, He's going to have to fight Golovkin a third time. Maybe the Kovalev fight can happen if he beats Anthony Yard, which I think he will. But uh, I don't know, man. It just The whole thing is insane. Now, there's some issues between Canelo and Golden Boy, particularly some people at Golden Boy. Canelo is trying to say, he put out a tweet saying he didn't know that Golden Boy Promotions never told him about this IBF deadline and these contracts and that he had to fight Golovkin a third time as part of the the deal with the zone. That is an absolute crock of shit. And I'm saying it right now, putting it on record. Canelo knew damn well that that fight with Golovkin had to happen. He's not a moron. And the people advising him on his team, including the Reynosos, all knew they had to fight Golovkin again down the road unless Golovkin lost to somebody. But they knew that that fight was not only probable but likely. Anybody with half a brain knew that the reason DeZone signed not only Canelo but also Golovkin was to make those big fights. So you don't have to be a genius. You could be half a retard and still understand that's what they want. So Canelo's lying through his ass and... Oscar De La Hoya gets a lot of things wrong. I don't agree with a lot of stuff Oscar and Golden Boy Promotions do, but 
they're not being full of shit here. They tried damn hard. They bend over backwards to do whatever the hell Canelo wants. Canelo is the entity that makes them, that puts their, uh, their, their budget in the black at the end of the year. I was trying to, struggling to find the words for that. But he literally is what gets them out of the red every year. It's Canelo. Hamed says the IBF did nothing, nothing wrong. He's right. According to the IBF's rules, look, they stripped Golovkin for less. So look, I just find it interesting that both Golovkin stripping and Canelo stripping would involve Sergei Derevyanchenko. And the bridge between it was Daniel Jacobs, who originally told them to go get fucked. So I just find the whole thing hilarious. And now with, with Canelo, look, he doesn't want to fight Golovkin because he has personal beefs with him because Golovkin attacked him for the performance-enhancing drugs thing. He didn't want to fight Derevyanchenko. He was willing to, but he wanted to do it on his terms, on his timeline. He got stripped of the IBF. The WBC, who is basically his promoter now, it's not even... Golden Boy Promotions is his secondary promoter. Canelo Alvarez's main promoter is the WBC and Mauricio Suleiman. They protected Canelo so they wouldn't have to strip him by giving him the franchise belt because he didn't want to fight Charlo or he was in no rush to fight Charlo anyway. So guys, with all the diva stuff going on here, look... I still think Canelo Alvarez is one of the finest fighters in the world. You make an argument, top five pound-for-pound fighter in the world. He's clearly still the biggest brand in all of boxing, one of the biggest brands in all of sports as an individual athlete. But it's really hard to defend this diva shit. It's really... Look, Golovkin's turned into half a diva recently. A lot of these guys have, okay? But Canelo is clearly the biggest diva in all of boxing right now. When he really took that Mayweather mantle and took Las Vegas and those dates around the two Mexican holidays, the Mexican-American holidays, uh, he didn't just take the mantle of being the guy. He took the mantle of being the biggest diva as well. He's clearly the biggest diva in the sport. And I don't know how you defend any of this shit. Just shut up, get in the ring, and fight. Earn your damn money. You, you wanted the big contract. You wanted the big money. Go earn it. Go fight. All right, enough about Canelo. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about him some more in the chat. Yeah, now he abandoned the date. El Archega said, now he abandoned the date. Mexican Independence Day. Let me quickly just rant a little more on Canelo, then we'll go to the next thing. If you're so hardcore Mexican, right, and you're insecure about your white skin and red hair that you got to constantly prove your Mexican card by refusing to speak English in the United States media, even though you understand and speak fluent English, you're so Mexican proud, right? So Mexican. But you abandoned Mexican Independence Day over a personal beef with a dude that you feel you, you legitimately beat in your second fight and that you can beat again. Are you really, really caring about the Mexican fans? Are you really, really caring about holding up Mexican tradition, the proud Mexican tradition that goes back generations of the outstanding Mexican fighters? Are you really, really caring that much about supporting the greatest boxing fan base that exists on the planet right now and that is the mexican-american and mexican fans yes the uk fans are awesome and there are great fans all around the world but clearly the biggest fan base collectively in the world of boxing you know in all of fight sports not just boxing is fans who are either mexican or mexican-american fighters of mexican heritage are clearly 
the biggest fans in the world. And I'll say it not just because of their, their ratings when they watch fights, but Mexican fans go to fights. They spend the money. They, get, they buy tickets. They go to the weigh-ins. They go to the press conferences. And I know because I've been at all those events as it has featured uh, different fighters of different uh, backgrounds. And I could tell you flat out, and I, I will not stutter when I say it, Mexican fans are the best fans. They go to every damn event, not just the fight. Is Canelo really serving his fan base? I don't know, guys. You tell me. I'm not Mexican-American, so I can't speak on it. You tell me, Mexican-American fans, is he serving the fan base right now? Abandoning the date, not fighting anybody, losing the damn titles he won in the ring, quote-unquote. Is it worth it? I don't know. Speaking of divas, Tyson Fury. All right, I'm not going to say diva. I'm going to say character. Tyson Fury, the character. Fighting Otto Wallen. Otto Wallen. I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm going I'm to guess it's Otto Wallen. September 14th at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. So I tweeted about this uh, last week and I got some shit for it. Or maybe it was this week. Or maybe it was one of my few tweets this weekend because I was ignoring social media because it's so freaking negative right now. Um, man, that, Tyson Fury's resume is shit. It's shit. And I respect Tyson Fury. Look, I think there's an asterisk next to that Vladimir Klitschko win. I don't like what happened between him and UCAD, the BBBFC, and all the, just as it relates to performance-enhancing drugs and, and with that fight. I don't know how I, I put an asterisk next to that fight, but he did beat Klitschko, who was the man. And I respect the hell out of Fury for what he did against Deontay Wilder, particularly getting up in the 12th round when most men would not have. More than any of that, I respect him coming back from the brink of disaster. Could have been another sad boxing story, a suicide or something like that. Coming all the way back, losing over 10 stone, as the Brits say, to get back in shape to fight Wilder and put on one of the better heavyweight championship fights we've seen in recent years. I respect the hell out of all that. But, guys, I'm sitting here looking at Tyson Fury's resume. After the Klitschko fight, look, I get it. He wasn't going to come back and take on a top 10 heavyweight after that hiatus, right? But he came back and fought Sefer Safari, whatever. Then it's Francesco Pignetta. Okay, okay, I'll forgive you, dude. You got two tune-ups after several years out. Okay, but after this Wilder fight, it's Tom Schwartz, and now it's Otto Wallen. And you're, doing, you're going to Vegas and charging your fans who you know will travel and spend thousands of dollars for overpriced tickets at a venue this fight does not belong at. This fight belongs in a 5,000-seat venue somewhere where tickets can be 25 bucks, ringside's 500 bucks. not at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. That's crazy, crazy. So, um, look, I get what Top Rank's trying to do here. They're trying to build this brand up and make the rematch with Wilder next year bigger. But Jesus Christ, a lot of people look at Tyson Fury is the best heavyweight in the world. If that's the way you feel, okay, you can make an argument. But guys, outside of the 24 rounds he spent with Vladimir Klitschko, while maybe on performance-enhancing drugs, and against Deontay Wilder, still largely untested Deontay Wilder, other than those 24 rounds, his resume is dog shit. I took a shit three weeks ago that's floating in a sewer system right now that's worth more than some of the opponents he's fought, okay? I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But stop with the lineal champion bullshit. 
Stop. The lineal championship at heavyweight is vacant. There is no lineal champion right now. There is no man. It's four monsters at the top of the heavyweight food chain. Four of them. Fury's one of the four. That's it. I don't give a damn how you rate the four, what order you want to put them in. But don't tell me he's the lineal champion. He got busted for performance-enhancing drugs, and he retired, quote-unquote, so he wouldn't get suspended. He still got suspended, technically. But you catch my drift. Stop with the lineal champion bullshit, all right? That resume is doo-doo. Also, one, uh, one quick note about some, a fight card coming up. Daniel Roman and Devin Haney should be headlining a card September 13th at Madison Square Garden on the zone. That is from my boy Steve Kim tweeted about that. So I wanted to make sure I got that out there, guys. All right, let's take a quick look at the chat before we get into the fight review. LR Chiga says, Top Rake still thinks the public gets fooled by Fury fighting undefeated dudes who haven't fought anybody. Some of them do. So, you know, I got to say, there is a, there's a subtle genius to what Top Rank is doing because Tyson Fury will go on Joe Rogan's podcast. Joe Rogan don't know who the hell Tom Schwartz or Otto Wallen is, and they'll talk, and they'll, they'll, he'll get free publicity. He'll go on a bunch of other sports shows and talk about mental illness and all those things, and that makes that's perfectly good. I mean, he should talk about those things, but I'm just saying he's going to get promotion fighting a, a nobody, and he's going to beat this dude down. And Tyson Fury, a guy who's never shown any power against the elite, will again blow a dude out in two or three rounds. It'll help build up that rematch against Wilder among casuals. But is it going to help prepare him for that rematch? Is it going to do anything to make Tyson Fury's performance in the rematch against Wilder any better? I don't think so. Meanwhile, Wilder, say what you will, it's not like he's fighting killers, but if he... He's supposed to fight Luis Ortiz next. Luis Ortiz is 507 years old, right? He has pyramid brick dust on his hands from building the pyramids in Egypt as as a laborer in Egypt building pyramids thousands of years ago. That's how old Luis Ortiz is. He's still better than Otto Wallen and Tom Schwartz on the same night. So Wilder's getting better preparation than Fury. And that just kind of makes me think there's different plans from those two teams, Fury's team and Wilder's team, about what's supposed to happen in that rematch. Read into that what you will. My man Scotty Buck is on here. He says, get it right. <laughs> Luis Ortiz is 508 years old. I'm sorry, Scotty, you're right. He is 500. He's 508 and a half. His birthday's coming up. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Chuck Cook 93 asks, is that the one who dropped uh, Joshua in sparring? I don't know. But I'll say this, guys, you guys got to stop overrating these sparring wars things. Dudes get dropped all the time. My man Scotty Buck is on. He trained with James Tony all the time. Former pro fighter from Detroit. Good friend of mine. Scotty, I know you trained a lot with James Tony, And I know you saw James at, for certain camps, get lumped up like a motherfucker in sparring. I know you saw it. And I hear stories about James Tony getting lumped up in sparring. That was the way he prepared for fight night. He takes some licks and sparring. He get beat up a little bit. And then he go in the ring and beat dudes down on fight night. Sparring don't matter, guys. You're going to get dropped sometimes in sparring. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get buzzed because you're trying different things, right? It's all about what you do on fight night. Don't worry about sparring so much. Captain Hook Chronicle says, Ortiz assisted God when he created humanity. <laughs> well, yeah. Probably, that would tell you how old he is, depending on, well, 
Some people think the earth is only a few thousand years old. You know what I mean? Some of us think it's billions of years old. So you know, take what you will from that. But uh, Tim Nix says, Montero, don't lie. Ortiz is younger than Vladimir and Joshua. Ortiz is younger than Vladimir and Joshua. I think you meant to say older. All right, let's see. What else here? Fury beat... Hamed says, Fury beat a better version of Klitschko than Joshua in terms of on paper and in Vlad's back garden. You know, Hamed, there's two ways to look at that. I actually think that Joshua beat a better version than Vladimir Klitschko because he had a better camp for that fight. He was rested and he was motivated and he took Joshua very seriously. Uh, in terms of location, yes, you can make an argument. Fury's uh, performance was more impressive. But Fury did not get a 100% focused version of Vladimir Klitschko. I think Vlad took Fury a little lightly. Regardless of what he says in media and this and that, I've talked to people that were in that camp and sparred with him during that camp and were training with him in Austria during that camp. And I've been told certain things. There were personal things going on in his life. And then again, the whole performance-enhancing drug situation as it relates to UCOD and Tyson Fury around that time, I put an asterisk next to that win. There was full VADA testing uh, for, during, throughout camp for Vladimir and AJ when they fought. And um, yes, Vladimir was coming off a layoff. He was older, but it mentally and emotionally, I think, in a better place. You can make an argument, though, Fury beat a physically better version of Klitschko. You could certainly make that argument. I wouldn't disagree with that. Tim Nick says, Ortiz is younger than Vladimir was when he fought Joshua. Interesting. And you know, well, that's, that's if you believe how they list Ortiz's age. Well, they list Luis Ortiz at what, 38, 39? Yeah, Klitschko was older when he fought AJ. However, Klitschko doesn't have a heart condition that he has to take medication for. I told you guys, Luis Ortiz was cleared to fight Deontay Wilder the morning of the fight when he fought him the first time around by the New York Commission. They flew in Charles Martin to fight uh, Deontay Wilder that night if Luis Ortiz wasn't cleared. So, yeah, Team Buck says Ortiz is 50. I tend to lean closer to 50 than 40 with Luis Ortiz, okay? All right, guys, let's get into a quick fight review. Uh, Friday, August 2nd, knockout CP Freshmart, seventh defense of his WBA minimum weight title in Thailand, wins, defends his title again. He's now 20-0, and he's the top guy at minimum weight, if you care, at about 105 pounds. It's crazy, 105 pounds. That's literally half of me. But um, look, he is the number one guy in that division. Definitely not the champ, though. There is no champ yet. Uh, he's all of his fights, except for one. He fought once in China. All of his fights have been in Thailand. I'm just joking, Thailand. Uh, so he's eventually got to travel a little bit and unify titles. Oh, CJ Duncan's in the house. What's up, man? CJ Duncan with the super chat says, Cheers, brother. Uh, glad to catch you live. CJ, what's up, man? Are you back home? You're always traveling. You're always, I feel like you're always in a different town or something when I see your posts. Uh, hey, man, I hope things are good with you and the lady. And um, you're having a good night, brother. Thanks for tuning in, man. I appreciate it. Also, Friday, August 2nd, Anthony Fowler and Lewis Ritson uh, went on that matchroom card in Liverpool, England on the uh, zone. So, yeah, a little bit of action on Friday. Nothing big. Also, Saturday, August 3rd, we had some, we, of course, we had the big card at Barclays on Fox. But over in Belfast, Northern Ireland, Michael Conlon wins a TKO 9 uh, win to go to 12-0 on a top rank MTK 
MTK card that was on ESPN Plus. Look, it's time for Michael Conlon to shit or get off the pot. Recently, I talked about Jason Quigley, a middleweight that Golden Boy Promotions had, uh, still, still represents, that um, it was time for him to shit or get off the pot. He fought Toriano Johnson and he lost. I'm not going to say he was exposed. I always kind of thought he just wasn't quite at that level. It's getting close enough now for Michael Conlon. He's got to step up. He's, he needs one more fight later this year. He gets one more soft touch at the end of this year. And then in 2020, he's got to step up and go at least try to get against the top 10 guy. I'm not saying go to a title shot. Top 10 guy, move up in the world. You know, it's time to shit or get off the pot. We got another super chat pledge from Drew. Thank you so much, Drew. I appreciate that. He says, so an article out saying Canelo is exploring buyout options from Golden Boy Promotions. Thoughts? Oscar's abuse history is bothering Canelo. Yes, uh, some of that is legitimate. Um, You need to give me a source on that article, um, and I'll check that out. But look, I've been hearing rumors, and and my man Steve Kim has talked about this. Mario Lopez, they do that show together. Mario's talked about it. He's good friends with Oscar De La Hoya. A lot of rumors. Okay, you guys can't buy too much into the rumors, but it is legitimate that there's trouble in paradise there between Canelo and Golden Boy. I think it'd be a massive mistake at this point for Canelo to look at buyout options to try to... uh, It's one thing if he wants to go the free agent route, okay? But I do think... Look, man, under Golden Boy Promotions, Canelo's become the key figure, the key attraction in the sport globally. He's signed uh, deals, uh, sponsorship deals with American companies and, of course, a bunch of Mexican companies. He... Has the he briefly had the biggest contract in sports history before? I think it was a baseball player. I think it was Mike Trout that beat him out. I can't remember. If, was it Mike Trout? But he so now I think he's number two. But he was briefly number one. Bigger, better, badder deal than Floyd Mayweather had with CBS. But he's got to fight the top guys to get that kind of money, right? So I think Golden Boy Promotions has done a great job for him. But um, yes, there's trouble in paradise. That's all I can say comfortably on the record. Everything else is kind of a rumor. Oscar De La Hoya does have a history of substance abuse that has led to issues with him in his personal life and his professional life, some of the business relationship he has. I've been witness to some of it. I've been around it. I've been in functions and parties and get-togethers and stuff where I've seen some activity that was uh, (laughs) not very professional, Uh, I'm not going to talk about it on the record, but yeah, I've witnessed some of it. Uh, Sometimes though, some of it is rumors. If Oscar looks a little weird, if he has an off day on the mic or something, rumors will fly that he was messed up out of his mind. And that's not always true. In fact, most of the time it's not true. But it is very true that he does struggle with substance abuse and it's known around the Los Angeles area. You'll see Oscar out at bars sometimes, pounding him back, acting a fool. And sometimes it's pretty obvious it's not just alcohol. So that might be causing trouble in paradise. I just know that in terms of personalities, Canelo has become way bigger than Golden Boy Promotions and way bigger even than Oscar De La Hoya is at this point. You got to look at those two big egos involved there. And it might just be kind of at a, I'm not going to say it's quite at a breaking point, but maybe getting close to where Canelo is going to want to go off and do his own thing as Oscar did with Bob Arum. Floyd Mayweather did with Bob Arum. Like they left Bob Arum to start doing their own thing, right? That happens. Sometimes the fighters just get bigger than 
everybody else around them and they got to go do things their own way. I think that Canelo has some, a legion of fans that are blindingly loyal to the level that Mayweather had, to the level that Oscar had, all big fighters, where Canelo could do whatever the hell he wants. He could dump all the titles and not fight any mandatory and fight a cab driver from Mississippi. And there are fans who will support him and say it's great. And guess who will be in the front seat grabbing his dick and stroking it? Um, Well, I'm not going to go there. WBC. Sorry. I just had to clear my throat. Okay. uh, Back to the fight review. Also on Saturday, Julius Ndongo gets back in the win column with a TKO win in Alabama. And then we go to Barclays in Brooklyn, PBC on Fox, where uh, Deontay Wilder was doing some commentary. What would you guys think about that? I don't think he's very good, but he's better than Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis isn't very good. Great guys. Lennox Lewis is a wonderful man. Outstanding fighter. One of the five best heavyweights ever. Just not very good on the mic. And I think that some of these, it's not just the PBC. It's all of them. Top rank, matchroom, all of them do it. They want to get a former fighter on their broadcast as part of the commentary crew because it lends some credibility. Hey, here's a guy who did it in the ring and all the better if he's a Hall of Famer and all-time great like Lennox Lewis. I don't know about active fighters doing commentary. I don't know if I like that. Maybe a little guest commentary sitting in on the broadcast, but like blow by blow from ringside. I don't know about that. Uh, Anyway, hold up. We got another super chat. Oh, Drew, again with the super chat. Thank you very much, man. He asks, uh, can Canelo influence Ryan too? Yeah, uh, both seem unhappy. And the reporter who wrote the article says Canelo was upset. Oscar has missed events because of his partying. Yeah, look, that's not the first time that's happened. I know B-Hop was pissed off at one point. Um, A lot of people have been pissed off at Oscar. When you guys, any of you out there who have family members who struggle with depression or substance abuse, you know how this is. That person's not going to show up for certain events. So they're going to show up late or show up messed up or strung out. And um, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult to remain or to maintain, I should say, business relationships and friendships and things like that. One thing about Canelo, he enjoys a drink, whatever, every now and then, you know, you can let loose. But he's he pretty much lives a pretty disciplined lifestyle uh, outside the ring. And um, Oscar gets a little crazy. So perhaps... That is related to some of it. And yes, Oscar has missed events and been late to events and stuff like that. And Ryan Garcia is not happy too. So I heard that Ryan Garcia, there was an event, uh, his last fight apparently was only paid about $50,000. Now look, has this been substantiated? No, but these are rumors floating around that he was paid not even six figures for his last fight, which netted much, much more than that. So uh, Ryan Garcia is not happy either. So there's some issues going on with Golden Boy Promotions. Remember, Ryan Garcia is supposed to be their next big guy. They've got Virgil Ortiz Jr. as well. But Ryan Garcia is being molded to be the next Canelo. And um, if there's trouble with him, you know, if Canelo bounces, Ryan might bounce too. And that might fold over Golden Boy. It really, really could. But pay attention to who's reporting this shit. Because some of the guys reporting this stuff have grudges against Oscar and Golden Boy promotions. So be careful about who the blue check guy on Twitter is that's reporting this stuff. They may have an issue there about their reporting. 
So uh, another super chat from Chris Bergen. Thank you very, very much, Chris. He asked, hey, Mike, hope you're doing well, bro. Can you remember another year with as many upsets as 2019? AJ, Charlo, Hurd, Brown. Hit the like button, people. Dude, Chris, yes. <laughs> I, I can't. In fact, I was going to talk about that when I got to the Jean Pascal fight. I just haven't got to it yet, but that's a great comment, and you're spot on. Spot on. Uh, I got to say, Phil Joyce just commented, Lampley, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> that's pretty hilarious. But, Chris, yeah, you said it perfectly. This is the year of the upset. And that's the one thing. Like, this isn't really what I would call a uh, casual fan, a good year for the casual fan, because those big fights that bring out the casual fans are not happening. However, grassroots-wise, building diehard fans, and for the existing diehard fans, this has been a pretty badass year just because of the upsets, dude. Cancio, don't forget him. He started this whole thing earlier in the year when he fought Machado. Machado was supposed to not only beat him, but beat him big. That's what the odds makers said. And Cancio not only beat him, he beat him in the rematch, right? So um, then, of course, Ruiz shocking the world against AJ. Williams heard was a minor upset. To me, I wasn't that shocked, but it was a minor upset. Although Chica says Tabidi lost his O as well. I don't know if that's... Yeah, we just related to, because um, he was supposed to win his fight too. A lot of people thought Tabidi was going to win his fight. There's just been some good, not big name matchups, but I'd say mid-level matchups and stuff where we've had great upsets, great upsets that have kept diehard fans really, really enthralled and thrilled this year. And it's probably helping build diehard fans out of some of the younger fans that are watching. So in that respect, it's a good building kind of year. I just hope it builds to something in 2020. All right, back to this uh, review. So Jean Pascal, who I talked about last week, had lost however many, I think four out of his last eight fights or something. I didn't think he was going to be Brown. Nobody did. And look, man, I'm usually 99% spot on with my, my calls for who's going to win fights. Even Pacquiao beating Thurman this year. I'm not going to say that was an upset, but a lot of people, myself included, edged Thurman because he was the younger guy and just thought he'd eke out a close decision win. That's what I, I thought would be 115, 113 Thurman, somewhere in that range. Even Pacquiao dominating, dropping and dominating Thurman. Dude, this year is killing. Like if, if I had a bracket, you know how they do brackets for March Madness? My bracket would be busted more than Carlos, Carlos Baldemir's asshole is right now. It'd be busted in half. So Pascal says, screw the odds, screw everything. I'm going to put it all in my right hand. Gets in the ring against Marcus Brown, who really was winning the rounds. Oh, Diego De La Hoya. There you go, dude. Sorry, guys. LR Chiga, Diego De La Hoya and Eduardo Rocky Hernandez were also upset. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's happening at all levels of the sport. All levels of the sport were getting upsets this year. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. But try telling some of these names to a casual fan who only watches when Floyd or Manny fight. They're not going to know who many of these names, if any of them are, right? But John Pascal was really being losing rounds against Brown. I thought Brown was winning the majority of the rounds. Through the first three rounds, I had him up 30 to 27. And then suddenly in the fourth round, boom, a big right hand from Pascal thrown at a crazy odd angle, drops Brown. And Brown, just in my opinion, never fully recovered. He's taken shots before. He's been buzzed before. 
but he was not expecting that punch and he just never fully recovered. He got up, fought back. He was in the fight, still winning the fight. Halfway through, through the sixth round, I still had him ahead. But then in the seventh, he was dropped not once, but twice. And then there was a headbutt, nasty clash of heads that caused a cut over his left eye in the eighth round. We go, or I'm sorry, before the start of the eighth, and we go to the scorecards. And it's a technical decision win for Pascal. Now, had it had that cut not happened, had it gone on, maybe Brown collects himself and wins a decision. And he won enough, maybe he would have won enough rounds to have pulled off a decision win. Maybe Pascal hits him again with the right hand and knocks him out clean in the ninth, tenth round. We don't know. But at this point in the fight, when the fight was called due to the to the cut. Pascal had won enough rounds. Well, he didn't win the majority of the rounds, but because of the knockdowns, he wins the fight. And that's an awesome win for him. He gets an interim title here. And I got to put this up there with one of his best wins. So I look back at Jean Pascal's resume, and I do think he's one of those fighters that's a little underappreciated. Really um, not the best in terms of skill, but carved out a really, really fine career for himself. Quick review of Jean Pascal. Born in Haiti, obviously, moves to Quebec, Canada at about, I think, age six, seven, and starts boxing at age 13. His older brother got him into boxing. His brother was a really good amateur in Haiti and Canada. Ends up having an amateur record of 103 and 18. Won the Canadian championships six years in a row, 1998 to 2004. Goes to the 2004 Athens Olympics. So good amateur, right? And then goes pro. He has wins over Chad Dawson, an undefeated Chad Dawson, which, which, funny enough, was also a technical decision, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, from a headbutt and a cut. So it's not the first time this has happened with him. And he beats Lucien Butte, who had already lost once to Frotch, but took Chad Dawson's O. And then, of course, this went over Brown. Those are his best wins. Now, none of those wins are amazing wins, but they're decent wins. Here's his losses. Frotch, which that was at 168 before he moved to 75. Sergey Kovalev twice, Bernard Hopkins, Edadir Alvarez, Dimitri Bivol. So you see the level Pascal was on. Briefly had a title, right? Briefly the guy, because I think he had the ring title for a while because it was him. Uh, I think he was number two. He fought the number one, which was Dawson at the time, and won. And he briefly became the ring lineal champion because it was a number one versus number two thing briefly champion but you look at the list of guys he lost to and you look at the list of guys he beat and you kind of see the level he's at just kind of short of that elite level was never quite there so I don't know what kind of level you want to put him on I wouldn't rate him as highly as I'd rate Carl Frotch I probably wouldn't rate him as highly as I'd rate Timothy Bradley but right in that kind of wheelhouse you know what I'm saying? Never quite a pound-for-pound pound elite-level guy, but a good quality, world-class prize fighter. And this win over Brown, they're talking about doing a rematch. I think there's a rematch clause. If I'm Pascal, if you really want to do the rematch, do it. But you don't have to. You can walk away now, man. This is a great win. But if he does the rematch, win, lose, or draw, that needs to be it. There's just no reason to carry on further than this. Joshua Wilder says, uh, Pascal, really, really good, not elite. I agree. That's that's where I put him. That's where I put him. 
So um, that's how I feel about Pascal. Now for Brown, if they do have a rematch, I think Brown's going to win the rematch and and probably uh, 10 rounds to two, maybe eight rounds to four would be the closest type of decision. I think Brown will learn from this. He has had a lot of issues outside the ring, a lot of legal problems, which conveniently the PBC uh, uh, commentary crew did not mention. But um, he needs to clean this shit up in his personal life and focus 100% on boxing. Stop messing with the baby mama drama and get focused and beat Pascal in the rematch. I think he could. I think he should. And I would favor him to do that. In the main event, Adam Kovnachi improves to 20-0, beating uh, Chris Ariola by unanimous decision in a 12-round record-setting fight, according to CompuBox. Chris Ariola broke his hand in this fight, but hung tough, ate a lot of punches, hung tough, needs to hang him up. This was his last hurrah. He gave it a shot. Look, he lost to Deontay Wilder a few years back, uh, took some time off, had a couple of comeback fights, gets in there against Kovnachi to see if he could get another crack at the title, loses pretty badly. This was basically, basically a shutout win for the Polish fighter. So uh, it's time for Chris to hang him up. So I wanted to look at Chris's record a little bit. 38-6-1, 38 years old right now. So look, 38 wins and he's 38 years old. Hang him up, dude. The universe is telling you something. I'm a numbers guy. Numbers, I don't know. I I always read into numbers in a weird way. But uh, before I go into Chris Ariola's career, just real quick, CompuBox numbers on this thing, man. Most total punches thrown by heavyweights in a heavyweight fight in CompuBox history, 2,172 punches. The next closest fight was when Ike Abeyabuchi fought David Tua. They threw 1,730. So this had 400 more punches, basically. And any of you guys who are old enough to remember that fight between Abeyabuchi and Tua, that was a great freaking heavyweight fight from a very strong heavyweight era. This fight, 400 more punches thrown. So that tells you, I mean, this was a damn good fight. Damn good fight. Now, you can argue Abeyabuchi and Tua, better fighters than Kovnachi and Ariola. You can make that argument. But, I mean, honestly, do we know that for sure? Do we really? Abeyabuchi had some great early wins and looked promising and then freaked out and went to jail. Tua looked the part, was exciting, but what did he really, really accomplish? I don't know, man. Um, maybe those two guys were better. Better era, maybe better fighters. But Kavnachi landed 324 power punches, 47%. That means Ariola has just, he cannot get out of the way of punches anymore. Not that he was ever hard to hit, but dude, this guy's landing 47% of his power punches, and it's not like he only threw 100. He threw almost 1,000. I uh, know over a thousand total punches, but landed 324 power punches on Areola, man. So, um, dude, Chris, hang him up, bro. Nothing more to prove. For Kavnachi to land that many punches on a guy, LR Chica says Tua is 100 times as good as Kavnachi. You know what, dude? I tend to agree. I tend to agree. I say let's not rush to judgment because the jury's still out, because one fighter's still active, the other's long retired. But on the surface, I agree with you. Those were better fighters than these two guys, but this was every bit as good of a fight as Abeyabuchi and Tua. So for the Polish fighter to land over 300 punches on the old, washed-up Ariola who's been in wars 
and to not even really seriously hurt him. That tells you this dude just doesn't punch very hard. And I just, he also ate 298 punches himself, Kavnachi did. So that's not going to get it done against the elite. And they've been trying to line him up for a fight with Deontay Wilder forever and a day. And now that's lined up. So regardless of what happens with the Tyson Fury rematch, if that's the first fight for Deontay in 2020 or not, the fight with Kavnachi is going to be right around the corner for him. They'll have that there. And he's going to dominate the Polak. <laughs> I just said Polak. Look, I could say Polak because I'm part Eastern European, okay? So don't get, don't get all triggered. Don't get triggered. He's going to dominate him. It's not going to be a close fight. I just, look, Kavnachi is going to have moments when he fights Wilder and get some combinations in and, and everything else. Doesn't have the power to keep Deontay Wilder off. If you, if you don't have the power to keep Chris Ariola off, and Chris Ariola, much better chin than Deontay Wilder. That's proven. Okay, I'd put my life on that. But Wilder's a bigger guy, longer guy, much longer reach, much longer jab, better head movement, everything else. So Azier says, oh no, not Polak. You guys, you shouldn't say that word, all right? I messed up. But now, look, I say it jokingly, and again, I'm, I'm part Eastern European. So anyway, um, I could say that. Just like I could say Dago because I'm part Italian. But you can't, you bastards, you racist bastards. <laughs> okay. Uh, so look, that's just how I feel about this fight. Chris Ariola needs to hang him up. Kavnachi, top 10 heavyweight, lower top 10 heavyweight. But a lot of people say he's the Polish Andy Ruiz. No, Andy Ruiz is a lot better. Andy Ruiz is a lot better. His power is more legit, I would say. Uh, his punch variety is better. Um so far, Kovnachi has shown just as good of a chin, okay? But Ruiz does get hit less. So um, overall, yeah, if those two fought, I think Andy Ruiz, I'd pick him pretty big over Kovnachi. Be a hell of a great fight. Be a lot of fun. And maybe we'll end up seeing it someday. Flabfest, 2022. That'd be fun as hell. But Chris Ariola, real quick. 4-4-1 four, four, and one with no contest. His last 10 fights since 2013. His best wins, you know, a lot of guys look at Chris Ariola as this top heavyweight, this elite level heavyweight. His best wins were an old Jameel McLean, Brian Minto, uh, Manuel Casada, and Eric Molina. Those were his best wins, right? So um, anytime he stepped up, and I'm just here, I got his resume pulled up. He fought Deontay Wilder in 2016. He was dropped in that fight. I, man, is that the only time he was dropped? I can't remember him being dropped in any other fight. Oh, you know what? No, he was actually dropped against Travis Kaufman. That's right. Um, oh, of course. So then Berman Stavern. What am I saying? Berman Stavern in the rematch dropped Ariola twice and then knocked him out. Berman Stavern, I never thought, was an elite-level heavyweight. Stavern dropped him in their first fight. So Ariola's been down a bunch Tomas Adamek, I was at that fight. Tomas Adamek clearly defeated him. That was, I remember, a majority decision. Tony Krebs scored that fight a draw. Terrible scorecard. Adamek clearly won. And then, of course, course, Vitaly Klitschko beat him down. A one-sided beatdown. So, look, Chris has been down a bunch of times. He's taken a lot of punishment. Time to hang him up. Not a Hall of Fame resume or anything like that, but, again, a quality... B minus level, I'm sorry, B plus level 
type of fighter. Not A-level, but just, just under that. What's crazy is he's Vitaly Klitschko's best win. Seriously. Vitaly Klitschko's resume. Look at it. Chris Ariola is Vitaly Klitschko's best win. Crazy. Because he was undefeated when Vitaly beat him. We got another super chat here from Drew. What's up, bro? Kevin Idex, slurping PBC. Davis ratings were trash. <laughs> Thank you for the super chat. No comment on Keith Adek. Um, look, I, I, I think he does a good job with, with a lot of his reporting. I, I really, really do. As far as Gervonta Davis, his ratings, a lot of people are making it out like he has the, the, the makings of the next Floyd Mayweather, the next pay-per-view star. That's absolute bullshit at this point. Is there potential there? Sure. But the dude's got to fight the best in his division and unify titles and, and be the, the top guy in his own division before any of that can happen, right? So, um, yeah, for Javante Davis to say those ratings, I can't remember what it was. It was like 500 and something thousand. Those are okay, but they're not amazing. Yeah. Prime TV says, hell no, Michael Montero. Hell no what? What am I looking at? Uh... Elor Chico says, throw Davis on pay-per-view and see how well he does. Yeah, not going to do very, very well. Phil Joy says, Ariola is the Chal Sonnen of MMA, the GOAT. I don't know much about Chal. I'm probably saying his name wrong. Chal Sonnen. <laughs> but Chris is one of those guys that was fun as hell, super cool with the media, super cool with fans. He had a broken hand. As he's walking uh, out of the ring Saturday night, he was taking pictures with fans with a busted hand. Most people with a broken hand would be running to the ambulance, going to the emergency room, bitching and moaning and screaming and crying, right? And he's sitting there taking pictures with fans. That's the kind of guy Chris Ariola is. We need more of him in boxing, uh, but never really an elite level fighter. And that's just the truth of the matter. We got another super chat from Drew. He says the ratings were not even 2% of Showtime subscribers. Yeah, yeah, Drew. I mean, look, in fairness, Gervonta Davis was fighting a no-name opponent. In fairness, he put in over 10,000 butts and seats in his, in his hometown at the venue there in Baltimore. So that's, you know, there's nothing to sneeze at, okay? So there's something to build on there. So we, we can't just denounce that and say, oh, that's nothing, right? We can't trivialize those numbers. He, he did do some, some business there in Baltimore, and there's a lot to build off of. There's a brand there. And when you look at the social media numbers, apparently there are a lot of impressions on Twitter and different social media platforms. And uh, Gail says, by the way, I'll sure as hell buy Chris a beer next time I see him in a fight. Hell yeah, Gail. Hopefully I'll be there with you and we'll all have beers together. <laughs> uh, H Money H Money, the boxing voice, says the LDBC are, uh, dude, no, I gotta keep that shit out of here. Keep that stuff out of here. I don't want to hear about that. No racial political stuff, please. Um, FACL27 says Vitali is big, better than Vlad, except he wasn't. I know a lot of you guys hold Vitali in high esteem, and I do too. I love Vitali. He was the man. But. When you look at his resume compared to his brothers, it's not even close. Vladimir Klitschko has an all-time great heavyweight resume. Vitaly Klitschko has a borderline heavyweight, uh, borderline Hall of Fame heavyweight resume. 
So, and I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. It's just the truth. Look at their resumes. That's all you got to do. Kevin Frey says, Ariello was the Arturo Gatti of heavyweight. Interesting comparison. However, I will say this. Pound for pound, Arturo Gatti, a much better, much more skilled, and ultimately far more accomplished fighter than Chris Ariola. But in terms of blood and guts action and willing to fight anybody, hell yeah, brother. Absolutely, he was the Arturo Gatti of the heavyweight division. But people do disrespect Arturo Gatti's skill level. And some of the things he accomplished at 130 pounds before moving up, I never thought he was an elite level welterweight or anything like that. But he did have some very, very good accomplishments and a decent uh, amateur record up in Canada. So that shouldn't be discounted. And Chris Ariola had a very good established amateur record in America. That should be noted as well. Cathel O'Riordan says, Vitaly's wins over Hyde, Adam McPeter, and Sanders were all better than Ariola. Uh, I disagree for a few reasons. Hyde was a cruiserweight. Adamek was a light heavyweight. Sam Peter was completely washed up at, by the time uh, he fought Vitaly. And Corey Sanders, you can make an argument. You can make an argument. Maybe Corey Sanders was his best win. But all things considered, how much, what, what did Corey Sanders weigh when he fought Vitaly? Because he looked kind of fat. All things considered, Chris Ariola undefeated. You could make an argument. I'm not saying necessarily, I'll take that back, but you can make an argument was Vitaly Klitschko's best win. Vladimir had 10 wins better than Chris Ariola on his resume. Period, guys. Endo story. Yes, he fought cruiserweights like um, David Hay, but those cruiserweights were, his cruiserweight was much better than the cruiserweights Vitaly beat. Yes, he fought a blown up light heavyweight in Chris Bird, much better than the blown up light heavyweight Vitaly fought and beat. So yes, guys, like still, I'm just going to keep saying, it's not even comparable, those two guys, their resumes. I should get back to the fight review. Just mention one other thing. Curtis Stevens got dropped multiple times on a knockout uh, TKO3 loss. He needs to hang him up. He's done. It was an interesting, fun fighter for a while, a top borderline top 10 middleweight for a while. Just not there. Uh, Marcellus Wilder, Deontay's little brother, scores a unanimous decision win in a four-rounder. He's never really going to amount to nothing, but it's just fun to talk about him being on Deontay. Well, this wasn't even on a Deontay Wilder card, but he was doing commentary. So you can make the argument that it was a Wilder card to an extent. That's it with the fight review, guys. Uh, We will do the fight preview on Thursday night, right? On the B section of 182. 182B, that's where we're going to do the preview. But... um, (laughs) I don't know, some of you guys are talking now about the LDBC guys and stuff like that. Uh, Barbershop conversations getting exposed. He's long been exposed and he is done in boxing media and that is good for boxing media. And I'm happy to say it. Uh, I don't like talking about certain people because they're not worth my time. But yeah, that dude's long been finished. The only people that were keeping him around were some of the people at PBC. Most of the people at the PBC didn't want him around there was one particular guy, <coughs> Sam Watson, who wanted to keep him around. And finally, he's been overruled. <clears throat> All right, guys. If you got any more questions, I'll get them in real quick. Hamed says, why did Steve Kim run away from Barbershop? That's because Steve didn't want to beat the shit out of him. Because he ultimately probably would have. Barbershop 
uh, jumped up on him and tried to ambush him in a way. And I thought Steve handled it perfectly. And it wasn't the first time. Barbershop is chased after Doug Fisher in a uh, movie theater bathroom when he was watching a movie with his family. He's just a classless piece of shit who tries to smile and be a nice guy in your face, yet behind your back on his channel says all kinds of shitty things. Um, you know, I'd feel bad about beating the shit out of that guy because he's so little. He's such a beta male. But I've gotten very, very close to knuckling up and, you know, can't do it. You know what I'm saying? There'd be, there'd be no thrill in that victory. You'd be like, you know, punching a, a pillow or something. So, look, man, that guy... I used to do videos talking about him and some other guys and stuff. It's, it's better just to work behind the scenes and expose them for who they are to people that matter. I did that. Other folks did that. And now he's gone. So that's that. Tim Nick says, Vitaly was leading on the scorecards versus Lewis equals all-time great. Yeah, Tim, that's pretty much how people rate it. It's kind of funny. And that wasn't a prime Lennox Lewis either. Um, and look, Vitaly had opportunities to end that fight to get rid of him. He had a bad cut. He was awesome. Saloon Mooney says Vitaly was a beast. I agree. He was a monster. But guys, look at the resume. Look at the resume. Awesome potential. But Vitaly to me is kind of a what if dude. What if, right? What if he didn't get cut against Lennox Lewis? What if he didn't get caught for performance enhancing drugs and he got to fight in the Olympics in 1996 in Atlanta? Oops. We forget to mention that. What if he didn't semi-retire for four years due to injuries while his brother Vladimir cleaned out the entire heavyweight division and owned it and would have had the WBC title if Vitaly never came back? What if? So he's a what if guy. Salem Muni says, better than Vlad unproven. What if he had the chance to prove it? He did have the chance to prove it. He didn't prove it. I just mentioned some of the things that happened. He got busted for performance-enhancing drugs. Vladimir didn't. So Vladimir moved up to super heavyweight for the Olympics and won the gold medal. Vladimir was going to win it for heavyweight and let Vitaly win at super heavyweight. But when Vitaly popped, Vladimir fought at super heavyweight and won the gold medal. Vitaly didn't. He didn't even compete in the Olympics because he was suspended. As a pro, look at who they fought. For the four years while Vitaly was gone, Vladimir cleaned out the division. It wasn't a very strong division. It was weak. But he still cleaned it out. He unified every title except for the BC. Sam Peter held the BC. Sam Peter, who Vladimir had already beat, held the BC when Vitaly decided to come back. He fought Sam Peter. Vladimir was eventually going to fight Sam Peter again in a complete unification match, but Vitaly stole his thunder by coming back and taking that fight. It was okay because they had a goal of holding titles together as brothers, but. If he wouldn't have came back and stayed retired, Vladimir beats Sam Peter again and owns all four titles for the better part of a decade. That's what would have happened. So, um, guys, it just it is what it is. And by the time Vitaly retired again in, well, I think 2012, uh, by then the BC was in business with Al Heyman. First Don King, then Al Heyman. Don King sold it to Al Heyman, and they've had that heavyweight title ever since. So um, eventually they'll unify it with whether it's Joshua or Ruiz. I think it's going to be Joshua. I'm starting to think Ruiz is having 15 minutes right now, and that might be it. I hope I'm wrong, but that's the way it's starting to look to me. Um, anyway, guys, Tim Nick says, Montero, who did Vladimir beat that Vitaly could not beat? Could? 
anybody could beat or could not beat anybody on any given night, but he beat Chris Bird, who beat Vitaly. You know, I and by the way, when Vitaly hurt Lennox Lewis in that second round with that right hand in their fight, and Lennox Lewis was able to hold on and survive, had Vladimir Klitschko landed that right hand, Lennox Lewis wouldn't have gotten up. Vladimir would have won by TKO two. It was a very similar shot that Rachman landed against Lewis that dropped him. Vitaly did not have the power Vladimir had. Now he had a much better chin. And if Lennox started landing bombs, the bombs he landed on Vitaly against Vladimir, he probably would have stopped Vladimir in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. But that right hand that hurt Lennox Lewis in the second round, Vladimir would have knocked out Lewis with that shot. Vitaly hurts you with that shot. Vladimir knocks you out with it. And just look at, again, guys, look at uh, how they fight. Vitaly fought more with arm punches. Couldn't legitimately stop Chris Ariola, who other fighters dropped and chopped up and stopped. Other fighters like that I could mention, Chris Bird, who uh, Vladimir owned and, and knocked out, bloodied up and dropped and knocked out in their rematch. Uh, several fighters I can mention and point to, right? So anyway, guys, we can have that discussion forever. We've been going long over an hour, and I split the show up so that we could make the show shorter. <laughs> but we had some good chats tonight. Good, good stuff tonight, guys. Had a good time. You guys had some great questions tonight. I'm loving it. So be ready for Thursday night, same time, same channel. We'll preview what's coming up this weekend, and we'll have some more Q&A, all right? Thank you for so much, guys, just for everything that you do, for supporting me, all my super chats tonight. I appreciate it. I'm out. I'll see you at the fights. Before that, I'll see you Thursday.